this in Christ's holy name. Amen. All right. Uh, so a Christ lens, and what we're going we're gonna to start, um, and most of you who have kind of been familiar with me up here, I usually have a clicker and stuff, but that didn't work out this morning. So I'm going to, I'm feeling a little, I don't know what to do with my hands, so I apologize for that. Um, uh, but we're going to start by looking at some scripture. Um, good place to start. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 5. Uh, now, Matthew 5, um, the, um, I think there's a lot of familiarity with the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. Um, first verse tells us that Jesus was speaking to a crowd. He was surrounded by a crowd. He goes up on a mount and begins to speak to the crowd. And we know this as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is when he delivers and presents the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, blessed are the merciful, and so on and so forth. And we're actually not going to talk about the Beatitudes this morning. Just wanted to put it in context. We're going to start our exploration, our conversation, a little bit later in the sermon that's recorded in Matthew. In chapter 5, verse 17 is where we're going to start. And um, we're going to, um, in Matthew 5, verse 17, uh, Jesus says, uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what I wanted us to focus on this morning was this word, fulfill. What, is it, what does Jesus mean um, by fulfill? Um, well, there's a lot of different opinions about that. Um, and as I was preparing this morning, I looked through several commentaries and came up with several uh, different interpretations of that word, fulfill. Uh, one interpretation is uh, by fulfill, it means that Jesus lived a perfectly holy life. In other words, um, the law and the prophets have set, set a standard. There's a standard that is set, and Jesus met that standard. He fulfilled that standard. Um, so that's one common interpretation of the word fulfill. Another is, is similar, um, and that is um, because none of us, none of us in this room or outside of this room for that matter, have, have perfectly kept the law, right? we're incapable of living up to that standard. There's a curse attached to that, um, that we are cursed with death that comes from sin, for not living up to the law. And this interpretation says that in fulfilling the law, what Jesus is saying is that I have fulfilled that obligation, that cost that we all hold, that we bear because of our sin, Jesus has fulfilled that. Okay? Now there's a third interpretation that is probably less common. But it's actually pretty compelling if we look at, in context, the rest of chapter 5, the rest of uh, this sermon that's recorded. And that is, and I like this word, uh, that fulfill means to unfold. Um, that what Jesus is saying is that you have 
a folded law, and I've come to unfold that law. Um, that you've had an understanding of the law, but it wasn't complete. It was folded. You, it wasn't fully revealed, but I've come to unfold it so that you might see, so you, you might see the full law. And um, why this particular interpretation is intriguing, as I mentioned, is because of what comes after uh, verse 17. Um, for example, I'm just giving you some excerpts. Um, in Matthew, uh, verse 5, 21 and 22, um, uh, it's recorded that Jesus says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 21, that's kind of a folded law. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. I'm unfolding that law. And we see this again later in the chapter. Uh, it's all actually just, this is what the chapter is. From here on, this is what the chapter is. You thought this, I'm telling you this. Uh, verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A law that's folded is being unfolded. The last kind of excerpt, the last example I want to show you, Matthew 5, 43 through 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's a law that was folded, and Jesus unfolds it and saying, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I actually picked this passage out purposely because we need to hear that today that we need to love our enemies and those who persecute you. Unfolding. And in unfolding the law, what Jesus is actually doing, or at least one way we can think about it, is he's introducing a new lens through which the Jews should view the world. There was this lens that they held about how to view the world, and what Jesus says is, hey, I'm going to unfold that and giving you a new lens. Take out those old lens, that old lens, through which you were viewing the world, and put on this new lens, right? this Christ lens. So um, what lens is he introducing? Well, I summarized for this particular passage or set of uh, verses that what Jesus is introducing is a lens of love and grace um, that is meant to be a different lens than that lens of judgment that was so kind of uh, so, so acute in the world of the Jews at that time. But this is not the only time um, that Jesus kind of gives his people a different lens. Um, we see uh, another example of Jesus giving us a different lens, giving his people a different lens, when he introduces an eternal lens. Um, 
in uh, this passage in Matthew, um, where Jesus is saying, hey, you shouldn't value those things uh, that moth and rust destroy, but value those things that moth and rust do not destroy. Take off those glasses of the temporary and put on the lens of the eternal. Right? A different lens that, that Jesus is introducing. Later on in Matthew, uh, we see a different lens. Uh, in one of the parables, when he's the parable of the hidden treasure, and that, that parable uh, goes something like this. A man uh, discovers treasure hidden in a field, goes off and sells all that he owns um, so that he could have that treasure. That treasure was the kingdom. And so what Jesus is introducing is the value of the kingdom over those things of this world, the things that we value on earth. So take off that lens that values earthly things and put on the lens that values the kingdom. Different lenses. So if we want to summarize, um, and this is not exhaustive, but if we want to summarize uh, the lens of Christ, we might think of it as a lens that centers on love and grace, the eternal, and the kingdom. That's the lens of Christ. And what it doesn't center on, judgment, the temporal, and things of earth. Okay. We should live that out. But it ain't that easy. Um, and one reason it isn't that easy is because we have, we have our own lenses. We have our own lenses. And um, these lenses that we have, um, there's a word in sociology, um, or term in sociology, uh, to describe the different ways in which we view and respond to and make sense of the world. They call it social lenses. We have social lenses. Different ways, different, sometimes it's kind of our background, sometimes it's events that have happened in our lives, but we have these different ways to view and respond to the world. And what I jotted down was not exhaustive again, but I'm going to give you some common social lenses that we have. I think they'll be intuitive. Uh, some common social lenses. Socioeconomic lens. So depending upon where you stand socioeconomically, how you grew up socioeconomically, right, you can think about, hey, there are people who grew up in the Depression, right? And you're going to go, uh, they see the world it's a, a specific way. Um, a socioeconomic lens is, is a social lens um, that exists for us. An ethnic lens, um, whether it's by tradition or life experiences, this is a different, a lens, a way that is kind of unique to how we view and respond to the world. An ethnic lens. Um, uh, we have a geographical lens. Um, depending on uh, where you're located now, uh, versus where you, where you grew up. And, and just to make a point of this, 
as I'm talking about this lens of Christ, this is not an American thing, okay? This is a worldwide thing. You know how many Christians there are outside of the world, I mean, outside of the United States? There's more than there are inside the United States. So just sometimes it's hard to remember that and keep that in mind, but we're worldwide, okay? A geographical lens. And finally, and which is some might go, hmm, a political lens. Um, trying to keep it real, um, but, uh, and this is not unique to the United States, um, it's not unique to this time in the United States, but it's very acute, it feels very acute right now that there's a political lens that dictates, in some cases, or influences how we view and respond to the world, how we make sense of the world. A political lens. Now, um, I thought I would give you an example of how one of these um, common lenses plays out. So I was just reminded of a story. I just thought of this this morning, so it's not, I don't know if it's going to come out well. Um, but several years ago, um, I was in the fireside room, and someone was probably, you know, someone probably mentioned the fireside room. I was in the fireside room, and uh, someone, a visitor, came in and said that they were from the South. I was like, so where are you from? They're from the South. And I was like, whoa, okay. He goes, I grew up in Texas. So I thought, okay, we got a connection here. Uh, I'm thinking Whataburger. I'm thinking Bluebell ice cream. Uh, so I'm ready to have that conversation. So I say, so where are you from? And he says, Effingham. So I said, glad you could come this Sunday. <laughs> right? Different geographical lens, okay? All right. Um, so some things I wanted to point out about, about these uh, social lenses. One is, is that um, they're not discrete. In other words, that we don't just have one social lens. Um, we're a product, and the way we view and respond to the world is a product of several of these social lenses. Right? So it's not a discrete thing. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that uh, these social lenses aren't inherently good or bad. They just are. Um, I mean, that's how we're wired. And in fact, you, you, know, you may have heard me up here before, um, that's a good thing. That's diversity. Uh, that's a good thing. Um, that we have different ways in which we view and respond to the world. Um, and so um, our challenge isn't that, isn't that we have these social lenses because, um, again, they're part and parcel of who we are. And in many cases, these social lenses complement the Christ lens that we want to prioritize. Um, that's why if you see followers of Christ from other uh, ethnicities and other countries, that walk of faith that they have may look a little different than the walk of faith that you have. And that's okay. Um, it, it can look a little different. Um, you think about in Acts, 
um, when there was a kind of a controversy about the Gentiles becoming followers of Christ. And what should that look like? Should they look like the Jews who follow Christ? And the answer was no. They shouldn't look like the Jews who follow Christ. They're different. And that's okay. Okay? All right. Um, So, um, there's a downside to these social lenses, a potential downside. And that potential downside is that our social lenses can compete with our Christ lens. And that's a problem. Um, um, One, the simple fact that as followers of Christ, um, that we should be prioritizing and embracing a view and response to the world that Christ has. And that has all kinds of implications. And I timed my time here, so I can't get in depth on that. I really wish I could spend another 10 minutes telling you why that's really, really important. But I trust that you get it. Um, So the question is, um, how do we discern? How do we discern when our social lens, our social lenses, have become competing with our Christ lens? So I want to give you three questions to ask yourselves, questions that I should ask myself, to gain that discernment. Are my social lenses, is my social lens, competing with my Christ lens? Uh, The first question, does that lens draw my character closer to or further from the character of Christ? Does that lens draw me closer to or further from the character of Christ? And let's be honest about the character of Christ. Okay, Um, That's a heavy thing, so let's be honest about it. Um goes without saying, if, it, if our social lens is drawing us away from the character of Christ, and we can think of the fruits of the Spirit, if it's drawing us away from the character of Christ, um, then our social lens is competing with our Christ lens. Uh, second question, does that lens prevent others from seeing Christ through me? Does that lens prevent others from seeing Christ through me? If we are followers of Christ in all sincerity, um, then our hope, our hope is that all mankind will be drawn to Christ. And um, we are called to present Christ to the world. There are those in this world who won't know Christ but for what we show them. And so, if our lens is preventing others from seeing Christ through us, that lens is competing with a Christ lens. Uh, Third question, 
Does that lens diminish my unity with fellow believers who may not agree with me? Who may not agree with me on a host of issues? Can I still love them well? Not love them like, well, I don't hate them or I don't wish them harm. Do I desire their flourishing? Do I desire their flourishing? Can I desire that flourishing when they don't agree with me on this host of different dimensions? When does a love lens compete with Christ? All right. Now I think, if I remember correctly, it's time for a little comic relief. Uh, because, uh, you know, this is all heavy, um, and as I was thinking about um, our message for this morning, um, a sitcom popped into my head, and it's going to be one that's going to reveal some of my social lens, right? So I'm going to freely admit that. Um, and so uh, join me in an object lesson um, from the words of Fred G. Sanford. All right. Say, Pop, in the meantime, would you please try and come up with that combination? Well, I get my glasses so I can see the numbers on the dial. <laughs> say, why don't you just settle on one pair of glasses and be done with it? You always go through this. I need all these glasses. <laughs> some of them are for TV, some of them are for reading. And some of them for sewing. Ah, this is What are those for? These are the glasses that help me find the glasses that I need to find. <laughs> ah, here they are. Come on over here. I'll show you how to do it. All right. Um, all right, so um, from the words of Fred G. Sanford. Um, so, uh, what I wanted to share with you now um, is that as, as difficult as it might be um, to not only discern, but to prioritize a Christ lens, um, there are things that we can do to help ourselves. Um, and so, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about how we might prioritize a Christ lens. How do we prioritize a Christ lens? Um, uh, uh, the first thing I thought of was, was seeking Christ in Scripture. Seeking Christ in Scripture. And here I'm going to give you a short commercial. Um, so I just recently uh, read a book. And, okay, that's not amazing. Uh, but I, I just read a book and... Um, recommended this book to a friend who also read the book and said, I wish I would have read this book 25 years ago. It's a book called How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. How Not to Read the Bible. And the book is actually written. It's written for teenagers, young people, um, because often the tough passages in the Bible represent obstacles to, to finding Christ. And so uh, the author wrote this book to try to handle 
um, some of these tough passages, but also, I think, has some very uh, insightful uh, thoughts about how we can approach the Bible in a healthy way. You won't agree with everything that the book presents. Um, I didn't agree with everything that the book presents. Um, but we learn. Uh, we can learn from those whom we don't fully, fully, 100% agree with. And so I would recommend that book. Seek Christ in Scripture. And, and it's no accident that we're talking about uh, seeking Christ in Scripture um, because it's in coming closer to Christ um, that we can see the world the way that Christ sees the world. Okay, so coming closer to Christ. Uh, second, uh, did I hit the wrong button? Oh, okay, someone help me out there. Thank you, Neil. Uh, commune with Christ. Commune with Christ. Um, be in his presence. Um, I'm just going to challenge you to think about how we are communing with Christ? How are we making space in our lives so that we can be alone and hear from Christ and be convicted by Christ? Um, and this can happen different ways. I know people who commune with Christ as they run, right? They go running and that's their opportunity to commune with Christ. That's how they feel Christ's presence. There are those who feel it in nature, um, go out, go hiking, um, put a blanket out in the park. That's how they commune with Christ, doing yoga. Um, some do yoga. And that, in, in that silence, in that meditation, come to know or feel the presence of Christ. For me, it's in music. Um, I mean, I had to get a tissue, right? I thought I might um, short-circuit my microphone this morning. Um, um, but that's how, I commun that's how I commune with Christ, is, is through music. But we need to identify and find that way in which we commune with Christ. Um, lastly, um, seek Christ in fellowship with followers of Christ from different life experiences. Um, we should be intentional. All of our brothers and sisters in Christ should not be like us. Should not be like us. Um, I didn't know I was going to say this. I wasn't sure I was going to say this. But uh, I meet with a group of men um, uh, twice a month. You know, during COVID, it was every week. Uh, there are three black men, three white men, and we have good conversation about the Bible, about Scripture, but also about life. And we put our social lenses on the table for all to see, and it allows us to better discern a Christ lens. Right? It allows us to kind of go, oh, so that's what that is. Right? Hearing from people who have different experiences. All right. Um, well, I am, I think that's, that's the last slide. Uh, but I want to leave you with this thought. Um, so, um, I think 
that it is easy for us as followers of Christ. It is easy for us uh, to compartmentalize Christ in our lives. It is comfortable to do that. It's comfortable. What I want to leave you with this morning is that while our relationship with Christ is personal, it was never meant to be private. Others should see Christ in us. Others should see Christ in us. And as we prioritize a lens of Christ in our lives, it allows us to be a light that draws mankind to the Christ we serve. Let's live that out. Let's pray.